I'm Steve Denise and welcome to The Bookstash, a podcast where I chat with fantasy author Ash Oldfield about reading, writing and everything in between. All right, Ash, what book have you been reading? Well, this is a book I have read so many times in my life and it's a hugely important book to me. So I wanted to talk about it today. It's Anne of Green Gables Ah, by L.M. Montgomery. (laughs) Uh, So I have so many memories tied up with this book right from when my mom built up to me. I'm going to buy you this book. Every young girl should read this book. She built up the excitement of it, took me to the secondhand bookstore. We didn't have much money in those days. So going to the bookstore was a huge treat. And I remember walking in the smell of the books as it hits you, the weird lighting they had in this dinky shop. Um, and then walking through the aisles and being like desperate, like, I hope they have it. I hope they have it. I hope they have it. To then getting the book. And this here is actually the book that my mom bought me. I must have been like eight or nine years old. If you look, look how I wrote my name in it twice because <laughs> once wasn't enough. <laughs> and buying this book, Anna Green Gables, reading it falling in love with it, haunting the library, getting them to get in all the other books for me so that I could read them all. Um, So right from the very beginning, this this book was really important to me. It was even, I had a teacher I absolutely hated when I was in year five and I even lent her one of the books from the series uh, because that was like the one common link we had with each other was this book, even though I hated her, like with a passion. She was the only teacher I ever didn't like in the whole time I was at school. I still lent her this book. Um, and this this book has left such a mark on me in my life. I am the person I am today because of this book. And it's the first time I was conscious of a book changing me and changing me for the best to the point where I haven't even said what this book is about Anna Green Gables is about an orphan called Anne Shirley. She's a redhead. So in my books, the Rochea series, mm-hmm. Rochea has red hair as a nod to Anne. A lot of fantasy authors say, oh, I have red hair because it's unusual. It stands out. It's, you know, one of a kind. I have my character has red hair because Anne Shirley has red hair. And I also called my series the Rochea. It was actually originally called Rochea of Fireburn Island and then Rochea of the Lost City as a nod to the Anna series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, this book is about an orphan called Anne Shirley who gets adopted by this brother and sister who wanted a little boy to raise to help them on the home farm. A girl is no use to them because they want someone to do like the physical labour stuff to take over the farm when they can no longer work it. Uh, there's a mix-up with the orphanage. They get this strange starry-eyed little girl. She's ugly. She's very skinny, very pale. Her eyes are too large for her head. She says odd things. She's, they say she's a perfect little heathen. She has, she gave up praying to God because he didn't make her beautiful. Um, you know, he gave her red hair and freckles so she couldn't pray to him. (laughs) And then the brother and the sister realize, well, we can do some good for her. She's not good for us, but we can do good for her. And then she teaches them through just being herself. She teaches them how to love and how to um, live live life a little bit more kindly, I suppose. Um, Anne herself is so unique and she's never afraid to be herself. She's really intelligent in an era where women were not 
supposed to be intelligent. Yeah. And she was never afraid to compete with the boys. There's a good-looking boy that all the girls have a crush on, Gilbert Blythe, and she happily will, like, slam him down, beat him in the spelling, beat him in the math, and just does it with relish because he called her carrots, so she hates him. (laughs) So she gets an education in a time when women did not get an education. She becomes a teacher herself, even becomes a principal. Mm. She marries the love of her life. She pursues her creative interests. And she's a wonderful mother. She has children and is a great mother to her children and as lives well. Through a war. Do not dare mention the Anna Green Gable series where they did that <laughs> book three. That was not canon. I can't believe you mentioned that. That oh. she her children yes. went to war. She never went to war to save Gilbert Blythe from being a doctor in the field, okay? That never happened. I can't believe you brought that up (laughs) when I was so happy to be talking about this book. I watched that one time, and if I could remove that from my memory, I would. It's pretty bad. You've distracted me. So the thing I love about Anne... (laughs) Not only is she okay to be herself, she's not what they call a Mary Sue. So a Mary Sue is someone who's just perfect in Good every in way. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people find Mary Sue characters annoying. Anne has her flaws. She's incredibly vain about her looks and she gets herself into scrapes because of this. Yeah. So like there's one scene, I can't remember if it's this book or later books because I've read them all so many times they merge into one. Uh, she tries to bleach her freckles yep. by putting on, she thinks it's lemon juice, but it's actually this like purple dye thing and then she answers the door and she's got like this purple dye all over her face. <laughs> um, she tries to dye her hair and she's told it's black, but it's actually green dye, mm. stuff like that. So she's incredibly vain. She's a very short temper um, and her imagination can run wild and get her into trouble. So she's not perfect. She makes mistakes. But as she says, once she's made a mistake once, she never makes the same mistake again. So she's this eternal optimist of like, yeah, okay, like I really screwed up, but I'm never going to screw that up again. Like eventually I'm going to run out of things to screw up on. (laughs) So, yeah, she's this eternal attitude. She's grown up with no love in her life ever. Mm. She's been used to raise children. So she's always been adopted into families who have young children and they don't, And so she's almost like a live-in nanny from a very young age. So she's never been loved for herself and yet she's such a believer in love and such a believer in kindness and compassion. So she names flowers because they're her best friends because she's the only friend she has and, you know, she just never gives up and I just love it. So, yeah, it's a book that, oh, I've read it so many times and she uses such big words and when I was like eight I started using the big words that she would use (laughs) and – my parents would be like, okay, you're weird, Ash. Stop, stop, stop talking like Anne, but I couldn't help it. So uh, the thing I really wanted to talk about this book mm. of, um, so this protagonist for me, this main character, it was such a good role model for me because yeah. I was always different to the people around me. I mean, physically I've always been different. I was born really skinny. I don't know if um, listeners have seen photos of me. Uh, I, you know, My whole family were really skinny and that was something from about the age of like seven or eight was actually even younger when I didn't know that that's when they said, oh, you're as light as a feather. It never clicked when I was younger, what they meant, but physically I was always different from the other girls and Anne always was as well. And so it kind of, Anne gave me the confidence to be me and that there were are people out there who'll still find me beautiful. And 
I was always very intelligent and it was, she taught me it's okay to be intelligent. It's okay to use big words. If that's your vocabulary, if that's your vernacular, use it. She taught me that. So for me, this intellectual, not afraid to compete with the boys, doesn't have to try to be simpering and stupid to get Mm. the attention. And then she has men like climbing over themselves for her because she's intelligent and because she is who she is. That was such an important role model for me that this book has taught me a really vital lesson with my own writing, which is that importance of representation. Yeah, yeah. So that was actually, you You normally say, okay, Ash, what lesson did you learn? But I'm so passionate about this that I want to just not even let you speak <laughs> and move on to the uh, lesson I take away from this book in my own writing is that importance of representation for younger readers. It's something as a teacher I'm so passionate about. Um Most of my students are not uh, Caucasian. And so when I write the Roshaya series, I'm really careful that my characters are not all Caucasian. In fact, the majority of them are not. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm I'm trying to represent all sorts of different cultures, all sorts of different backgrounds without it just being a token gesture. Yeah, not like just phoning it in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that for me as something that I'd kind of been bullied about for my whole life is my body shape. Um, I have all my characters have a very distinct body shape but that's just who they are. Yeah, it's and like it, defining of their role, right? As yeah, well. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So like my character of Zeb, he's a large guy, mm. but that's just because he's a water dragon mm. and that's fine. And so that's not what makes him and what makes him is his loyalty and his ability to diffuse any situation and he, the fact that he's a dreamer because he wants to fly when he's a water dragon. Um, and also all my characters have different strengths. And so no one is that Mary Sue. No one's perfect at everything and they all complement each other with what their strengths are and they couldn't complete something without each other. Yeah, so yeah. That's, I, that's what I got from. That was your big lesson from that this. That was my big lesson from Anne of Green Gables. Yeah, and it's always hard to come up with a lesson when it's a book you read so long ago. <gasps> well, no, I, this isn't a book I read so long I mean, ago. the first time you read it was oh, so long ago. Oh, the very, very yeah, first time. But that first impression. I must have read this book. Uh, about 50 times. So I, you would read it multiple times a year when I was a kid. On and heavy I rotation. S- and I still read it about once a year. Mm. I don't read the whole series. I've read the whole series through at least a dozen times. Yeah. But the first book, yeah, at least 50 times I would say, I would say that I've read it. No, I haven't read it, but I've watched <laughs> 100 versions of miniseries, it feels like, with you. You've read, <laughs> you've, you've watched the miniseries with me. Yeah. There's one on Netflix I won't let you watch because they've made it really dark and I think oh. that's against everything. They focus more on her abusive childhood prior to living with Marilla and Matthew and I don't think that that's what Anne is about. I think it's about the optimism of the future. So I yeah. won't let you watch that. Oh, well, um, probably for the best really. <laughs> and then I think I watched – there's another one I think I watched without you. Okay. Because I had to vet it to make sure it was appropriate for a non-Anne fan to watch and it wasn't. <laughs> so I didn't let you watch that. So you, I think – and there's a movie as well, a black and white one that I have yep. where the main actress was kind of crazy – and she actually legally changed her name to Anne oh, Shirley. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that But story. I don't think I've let you watch that one. because I think sort of, I've seen scenes from it. I watched it a couple of times as a kid and I can't really bring myself to watch it again. <laughs> like, it's not bad. It's yeah. just I just 
is nothing on the the mini series. This is your special thing. Yeah, this is this is something that's really close to my yeah. heart. It's something that, yeah, I, I probably will always come back to this in my life. Always, always, always. I feel like I should blame Anne though, because I became a teacher, and I don't know if I would have become a teacher if I hadn't <laughs> read these books. <laughs> so it's it's her fault. I do I do what I do. <laughs> All right, Ash. So what's your uh, writing tip for this episode? Oh, you episode? want to move away from Anne. You've got that glazed look <laughs> on, your, <laughs> on your eyes. I do have a writing tip as well. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about last uh, podcast, um, we talked about, I briefly digressed into show, don't tell. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a lot more today about what exactly is showing versus telling yeah. because every almost every writing advice website I have ever come across has had that advice, show, don't tell, but they don't really tell you what that means. Mm. So first of all, what is telling? Telling is when the author just states a fact. So that child was a brat. I'm stating a fact. Yep. There's no visual imagery there. There's nothing for the reader to participate They're just in. taking your word for you, it. They're just taking yeah. your word for it. It's a passive statement. Yep. So instead of saying that child is a brat, you can paint a picture with words that invites the reader to take part of the storytelling process through the use of their imaginations. So that's what showing is. You're inviting the reader to add their imagination to the scene. So instead of saying the child was a brat, say instead the child pulled the mother's hair laughing shrilly and tugging harder at the woman's cry of pain. Mm. So that's, I wrote this, I went out to lunch with a friend and witnessed this (laughs) and wrote it down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, um, so yeah, that's showing a scene. It brings up this visceral kind Mm. of, I'm not, I never once say that child's a brat, but the fact that the child is tugging its mother's hair and then laughing at the mother's pain and doing it even harder tells you, yeah, okay, this isn't a nice kid. This isn't a child I want to be hugging and cherishing. So, um, yeah, that's what's showing it. So it creates this imagery. And as I said, I keep saying it, it makes the author, uh, the reader, the the reader, a part of the storytelling process. Rather than telling the reader, this character is this, the reader determines from the actions of the character, their own take on what they think the character is. Exactly. Yes. So they're able to interpret everything for themselves. It can be a bit more nuanced that way as well, I guess. Yeah. So if you perhaps have a different idea about how your character might come across than mm. what actually a reader might interpret it, I think that's always good, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think it's really great when um when I have readers say to me, "Oh, I thought blah 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 about so and so that it never occurred to me before." Yeah, that's fantastic because that means to me that my readers are able to um, take ownership for my stories, yeah. and I love that. So I had a reader tell me there's uh, two individuals they want to be as a couple that I'd never, it never even occurred to me that they would ever date or, you know, even have any (laughs) kind of attraction towards each other. And so when that reader said that to me, I was like, okay, she's actually, I've done something right here because she's taken that as her own story and her own interpretation. To be fair, as we've seen from lots of fan writing people do, I think (laughs) everyone imagines everyone in relationships, regardless of the characters. But I think that's good writing. I think that (laughs) if if that's what, if you've got a million fan fiction stories about your characters, that you, you've been a good storyteller yeah, and so you've like done you good showing. Or in a part of that world and become part of it. 
Now, the, the thing with show, don't tell that I did want to mention though, is that you can do this too much. So it is really important that you don't just show. Sometimes it's more expedient just to tell. So showing rather than telling will slow a story down. So quite often I'll choose to tell something to keep my pace quite quick. I, I do like a fast paced story when yeah. I write. I'm So uh, we've talked about Strange the Dreamer in the past where I said there's a lot of purple prose and we talked about purple prose being unnecessary description. I feel like Lainey Taylor is an author who uses show a lot. So her, she shows everything, you interpret it for yourself, but it's a slow meandering story. So if you don't want a slow meandering story, you will need to tell more often. You'll need to insert more telling rather than showing. Mm -hmm. So the way to do this, um, to balance it out, uh, you, I recommend you go through your story and underline every situation that where you've told something instead of shown it and then decide how you would show it instead. So yeah, for every right. single time you have told, yep. how would you show this? What's a way you can show this? This is something I do with my own yeah. writing. Then later I determine, do I want to show that? So here's, yeah. I could do A, I can do B, which works better with my pace. Mm -hmm. Um it's really hard to do it first. It's really hard to identify when you're just telling yeah. because everything's so clear in your head. You have such a good imagery in your head. Um, so it is something that it's, it takes a lot of practice to do. Um, I, I usually get a friend who uh, my friend Kate's a very visual person and when I get her to read my books, she'll tell me things she can't visualise and so she'll tell me I couldn't picture this scene at all and that tells me I should did too much telling, not enough showing. Yeah, so right. that's where those, we talked about how to get good beta readers in the past. That's one good way to utilize your beta readers. Um, if you get them to just say, what can't you visualize? That means you're probably just telling facts instead of showing it. Yeah, right. So they get mm. a bit like glazed over when those things are happening yeah. and they don't really absorb anything. Well, it means they're not a part of the story, yeah, are they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I know recently you were writing for the third book a chapter where mm. the first version of it was much more a tell and then yep. you, you've changed it to a, a show version, which I think is Yeah, so that's something I do in my revision state. Mm. So I write my first draft, which is always just I'm stating the facts yeah. uh, and that's me figuring out the story in my own head. Then when I rewrite it, everything mm. gets completely. Yeah, and from a, yeah. a reader's perspective, it changed a throwaway statement into a more significant scene too. So mm. I noticed from my perspective, like the weight of something – becomes more meaningful or um, relative to the rest of the story. So that mm. scene now uh, from your story stays in my mind mm. right now, whereas before, to be honest, I didn't even necessarily really even notice that line. Like uh, I didn't pay see, any attention that's, to it. That's really important for me because I need to make sure I don't do that with something that is just unimportant. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that when we're not recording so you can tell me what it is that's <laughs> yeah. in your mind. Because if it's something that I don't want to draw attention to, there's some stuff that I actually want to be really subtle about mm. uh, for, for the book four. So I'm trying to set them up now so that then later like more um, – more observant readers later will be like, oh, I did see that thing. So yeah. I don't actually want you to stop and be like, oh, no, no, I totally, I stopped <laughs> and I visualised that because that's not what I'm trying it's to like do. It's like a thing in a, in a um, story or actually I got an example. It's like a thing in a video game. There's old point and click adventure games where that one stone is like a different colour 
or they do it in cartoons or in the mm. Scooby Doo or whatever, where one thing's a different color, and then you know that's going to be the thing they, they every move. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it always gives it away. All right, we'll talk about this when we're not recording. Yes, because I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so we're up to that was our writing tip. So we're up yes. to accountability, Ash. So what's been happening? Obviously, I've mentioned. Of, I was going to say you yeah. kind of just mentioned my accountability. <laughs> like I was just reading this scene you wrote. Uh, so I managed to get the. I think last time I mentioned. I think I did some research, but prior to that, I'd finished writing chapter one. Um, I actually got the rewrite for chapter two done. I sat down thinking I'll just write the opening scene. I think it's th- it's two scenes. Yeah. And then I went, I wrote that. I sat down and I wrote that in a day, which is unusual for me. I was just so like pumped and so like ready to go. And then sat down and wrote an additional scene and inserted that in between scene one and scene two. Yeah. And then I let you read it because I didn't let you read it until I mm. had done that. So that's actually taken – that that took a couple of weeks. Yeah, okay. um, So it's been sort of two weeks worth of work. So chapter Good. two is done. You read it. You liked it. Apparently it's stuck in your mind. Yeah, I really did. Um, there was actually something that you said when you read it to me. You said, I really liked – uh, this particular scene, and I panicked because I was like, "Well, I haven't written that scene yet." <laughs> but you meant like this—you meant the, the setup, setup for, that, for scene. that scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so yeah, I've had—I've written chapter two, yeah. received feedback from my best and first editor, and ready to move on. Well, I enjoyed it so much. I was talking to someone about it over what? the weekend, and in fact, I actually—I don't know how we got onto it, but I was even talking to him about show don't tell and he was like oh, really? what is that I think I was just talking in general about all the different things you know about writing and he's like oh what does show don't tell mean and uh, I explained it to him and I should be like now I can go to him and say well, look oh, at what I did. <laughs> she actually talks about this yeah so and it is something that I actually am very conscious of when I write like it's mm. not something that it's not instinctual to me so it is a something I have to, have to really f- focus on. on yeah yeah absolutely yeah. cool okay well uh lastly we have our writing prompt for this episode um out of nostalgia for Anne of Green Gables, uh, my writing prompt is to write about your memories of being on a playground. Ah, so write about your memories about being in a playground. This one time I climbed up this log structure at my school right to the top. It would have been at least two metres high with like little levels and like, like those round kind of slippery logs. Yeah. And I fell right from the top all the way to the bottom and hit almost every <laughs> log on the way down. And I never reported it, but a teacher must have seen it because within a couple of months, that log, log structure was pulled down. Oh, really? No one ever said anything to me. I never reported it. I don't even think I went to sick bay, but it was quite like quite concussed. It was quite a bad <laughs> fall. And yeah, they ended up pulling it down. Isn't it funny that the playground memories are always ones of pain? Because <laughs> yeah. I just immediately in my head one sprung into my mind of running back from like class after going to the they used to make you go with another student to the yeah. toilet. And he ran off ahead of me and I was running down this like this like steep dirt sort of ramp incline mm. thing and I tripped on a tree root and oh. I tore a ligament in my foot and uh, <laughs> he ran off. So I was just lying there on the ground and I couldn't get up and I remember I had to wait for like it was ages uh, later. That kind of makes the whole point of going to the toilet with a partner <laughs> like whole, to- totally pointless. Yeah, exactly. Because the whole point is that you've got someone there for protection. Yeah, it didn't really work out that way. <laughs> And um, yeah, for some reason, I just came back in my mind. Uh, see, <laughs> writing prompt, guys. Write about your memories about of being on a playground. Horrible playground injuries. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So that's everything for our episode, I guess. Mm. Um, so 
As always, you can find us on our website, which is bookstashpodcast.com. We're on social media, which is bookstashcast, or one word on Instagram and Twitter. And you can just search on Facebook for The Bookstash to find us there as well. Um, be sure to share your stories. We always love to hear them. You can share them on the website or on social media or however you want to get them to us. Um, we look forward to reading them. So until next time, keep reading, keep writing, and we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon.